The context of our message today is training. And I want you to keep that in mind. A hundred years ago, a Presbyterian pastor by the name of A.B. Bruce wrote one of the most thorough books ever written on how Jesus found and taught and trained his 12 apostles, the training of the 12. This is the context. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read the passage in Mark 6 and as the story carries over into John 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something to eat. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came back and said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in the group by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up a heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And he got into the boat with them, and this is following now Jesus walking on the water. But the end of the story ties in with this story. And when the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. And then John adds, when the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. In thinking about this message, which as we will see in this context, that Jesus is training his disciples. I was discussing this with Marquet and she said, you know, I read a story today out of a blog that actually comes from someone from our own PCPC family, the Miles family, and their daughter Susie writes a regular blog. And she wrote this story just recently. It said this, just very brief. Years ago, when I was training two young sons, I happened to be sitting next to a Marine Corps drill sergeant on an airplane flight. And since I was working hard to form the character of two young men at home, I was interested in any wisdom that he might be able to share with me. So I asked him about basic training. I wanted to know how the Marine Corps takes 18-year-old boys and turned them into men who were capable of defending our nation and potentially laying down their lives for our freedom. He told me they teach the young men that if they truly embraced three fundamental principles, that they would be equipped to handle any situation that came their way. Those principles adjust, improvise, overcome. The things he shared that day became a lifeline to that young mom who was hungry for parenting wisdom. The story of the feeding of 5,000 is one of the most well-known of the miracles that Jesus performed. In fact, it so impressed the gospel writers that it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospels. It is a fundamental event in the life of Jesus that illustrates what he is doing in his ministry and in his training of those who follow him. At the very end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 28, he gives these final words to his followers. Go and make disciples. Notice you read in the passage what is not said, none of the disciples said, now, now wait a minute, how do we do that? What are we supposed to do? No, they knew. And how did they know? They knew because they had watched Jesus do what he did, and then he enabled them to do even miraculous things that he did, and they learned to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
We are to go. Go. It's literally a word that means as you go, while you go, during your journey on this earth, this is what you're to be about, impacting those around you for the things that extend the kingdom of God in the lives of other people, in your neighborhood, in your children, even in your grandchildren, in your friends. How am I a part of what Jesus is training any of us to do? So this context is training. And you can see that in that chapter, if you look in chapter six, verse seven, where it says that Jesus now sent the 12 out after they had been with him and watched him, he sent them out and specifically gave them authority over demons and healing and to teach about him. And they did it. But he emphatically told them, do not take any bread, do not take any money, do not even take an extra set of clothes, and wherever you go, only stay where you're invited. He did that in order for them to learn to trust God to provide as they did what they did. And that's where he is also doing the same thing for us. This was a crowd of about 5,000 plus, if you'll notice in the bulletin there, because what Jesus is doing in this and telling them, actually a lot did happen because in verse 33 of what we read, it says that the crowd saw them, the disciples and Jesus, and they ran to get ahead of him and they were going across in water and they were able to come around the top end of the Sea of Galilee uh, and meet them on the other side. But this crowd was much larger crowd than just 5,000 because any of the men who were there had wives and they had children. So it's entirely possible well, this was a crowd of 10,000 to 12,000 or more people. So it is an incredible miracle that occurs at this time. And it reveals exactly what Jesus wanted the crowd to learn and what he wanted the disciples to learn. So let's look at some of these things in the story. First is the setting. Twice it says early on that they went to a desolate place. Later, even the disciples said, this is a desolate place. Three times that is mentioned. Well, that is no accident. It is actually symbolic of the fact that Moses took the people of Israel out into the desert where they had no provision or what they had read out. And they're out there without anything and they're grumbling and they want food. Not only manna, I mean bread, but they want meat. So this is an incredible setting. Jesus is forcing the situation because he wants them to see something that is specific. And even though Jesus had wanted the disciples to get for rest, when he gets there, he realizes here's the crowd, they're already here. But it says he looked on the crowd, not as a problem, but he saw them with compassion. 
It says, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, wandering around, not really knowing where the true food of life was going to come from, not really knowing what really was going on by his presence with them. They didn't know what was about to happen. They did not know that this is the one that the ancient prophets of old had spoken of was going to come. This is the true shepherd, and he wanted them to see that. And it says that he began to teach them about the kingdom of God. Thirdly, the disciples got concerned as time went on and Jesus was teaching late into the day. And so they said, Lord, send them away because it's late and they're tired and and they can go far enough and find some little villages nearby and they can buy some bread and and take care of uh, of their hunger and their needs. And this is when Jesus now is wanting the disciples to learn something. And so he says, with compassion, it says, you feed them. They immediately object and say, Lord, (laughs) it would cost an entire year's wage, which is what 200 denarii was, to be able to buy that much bread. And where in the world could we actually find that much bread for this many people? How in the world can we do that? They had no idea of what Jesus was able to do. And so he says, well, what do you have? Go find out. So they go find out. One of the passages says that Andrew was looking in some little kid's lunch pail and and found out that there were a couple of rolls and, and some fish. And they came back and said, we have five little rolls, little dinner rolls and two fishes. Jesus said, great. Tell the people to sit down in groups and tell them to lie down, sit down in green pastures. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Jesus wants them to know he is the true shepherd. They could have picked up easily. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Don't miss the symbolism of what Jesus is seeking for them to see and to experience. So as they do, now it says, the passage, the verb is says, he kept giving to them. And they are, he's wanting them to see very explicitly as he demonstrates that he is greater than their greatest hero, who is Moses. Because Moses took them out into the wilderness, a deserted place, desolate place, And the people start grumbling that they have no food. And so Moses pleads with God and says, God, how in the world am I going to feed all these people? There's not enough fish in the sea to feed all these people. You see, because this was a large crowd, it is estimated that there were between a, a million and a half to two million people who came out of Egypt. Huge number of people. Moses is right. How in the world could we find enough food? to feed these people. And so he pleads with God and God provides 
for every single one of them. Jesus doesn't plead. He simply just creates it because he is God. And that's what he wants them to understand. He is the one who provides all of this. But I want you to step back just a minute and think about that. Did you ever think about how much food that was when they were out in the desert? The book of Numbers gives us a little clue when it talks both about the manna that they got and the quail that they got. And in talking about the quail, it says that the quail in places fell two to three cubits feet, or that would probably be four or five feet deep. And it did so as far as a day's walk. Remember, there's two million people. A day's walk into a Hebrew was 15 miles. You do 15 miles in every direction. And if you know how to do the math, I certainly don't. But pi square, that's 700 square miles of quail and manna. That is huge. And Jesus wants them to see something because there's something greater here than Moses. Because now I, as a man, am doing this myself right in front of you on the spot. One commentator called that quail mageddon in the Old Testament. And God is doing something huge and Jesus is doing something even greater because here he is as the son of God in front of them. So what we find then in this miracle is this, that the crowd was, this miracle was done for the crowd to recognize who Jesus was, that he was their true shepherd and Messiah. And secondly, for the disciples to recognize that he had the power of God and therefore was and is the son of God. He kept on giving them the food. Can't you see them now? They bring this little bit of food for it. Jesus is up there dividing it all up into 12 baskets and hands it out to them. Wow. How did he do that? And they go out, and as he finishes the first group, Peter says, hey, John, you, you, you still got some over there? And he said, I just went back, and Jesus filled it up again. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? He said, you know, I gave it all out, and, and, uh, and I couldn't believe how much got out of the basket. And I went back, and Jesus filled it up again. And over and over, and they're noticing this miracle happen right in front of their very eyes. He multiplied the food, it says, until every single person was fully satisfied. That didn't mean that somebody was being nice and said, well, I know there's a lot of people here, so I'll just take a little piece. No, it says every person was fully satisfied, had enough. Matter of fact, had so much that Jesus then says, I want you to go pick up all the pieces that are left over. Why did he do that? Because when they do, they all come back and every one of the 12's basket was totally filled with bread and fish. That was enough for them to see that God is going to supply 
not only what is needed, but all of their needs as well. He's training them. He's training them. Now, what is really interesting and kind of seems to give us a puzzle, we're told that the people at that point, Jesus perceived that they wanted to come make him king. Well, why not? <laughs> a chicken in every pot, right? I mean, they, here, here's somebody who's going to provide all of this for us. And so he quickly tells the disciples, I want you to get in the boats and I want you to row, go across the sea to a further place over there. And he said, I'm going to go up in the mountain and pray to get rid of what this crowd was, had in their minds to do. And he does. And then we go through the storm in the sea. And next week, Paul's going to preach and, and unfold that because there's so much in that passage. But at the very end, what I wanted you to see was, is that even at the end of that incredible miracle, it says this. It says that they, that they did not gain any insight from the miracle of the loaves. Why? It says, because their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were closed. Now, what does that mean? They had seen a great miracle, but they had failed to see Jesus as God performing the miracle. We can be amazed at incredible things. We're amazed that we have a vaccine that has been created and gotten through all the red tape in order to get to us within a year. And now we're being amazed that we're going to get everybody in the whole United States vaccinated. But we don't realize the fact that that vaccine would never have been able to be created if God wasn't behind it. He's the one who does everything. So the crowd also, they were not alone in not believing this fully. The crowd unbelieves. So that's why I read in the John passage when he comes and the crowd says to the, him, they did get the, the parallel between what he did and Moses in the wilderness. They got that parallel. But like the crowd in, the, in, the, in Moses' day, they also continued to grumble. It didn't last. You see, we want to see a miracle in this world, but you know what? Miracles never last because there's, there's always somebody who wasn't there who said, well, I didn't see it, so I don't believe it. And this crowd is saying, what sign are you going to do? He already just did that great sign. Well, you got to perform something else. And he said, look, you're not here because I performed a sign. You're here because you got your stomach filled. But what I want you to know is that there is bread that comes from heaven. This bread is simply going to keep your body alive but what I want to do is keep your soul alive for eternity. And therefore, the bread that comes down from heaven from the Father is me. I am the bread. I am the one who will give you eternal life. He said, and yet you still do not believe. So as we look at this, there's the story. 
So what in the world do we do with this? What is our response to this story? I think there are a couple things. First, we need to realize that we are always in training. You see, anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ is called a disciple of Christ, right? That's you, that's me. You wouldn't be here this morning if you weren't interested in following Christ in some way or another. But in doing so, we need to be reminded. Peter makes this statement. He says in 1 Peter 1.17, if you address God the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear or in respect during the time of your stay on earth. You see, we're all on a journey and God has already determined the number of our days, Psalm 139 says. We do not like the fact that some people die younger. We don't feel like our brother Tim Tinsley should be gone. But we never know, do we? But what we do know is that we are called to do that which is extending the kingdom of God. And that is what is making a difference according to the rest of the scripture about how things are done to us and for us and even laid up as treasures for us in heaven. <clears throat> we are always in training. And that reminds me then of the second thing, coming back to the Marine drill sergeant. And he said there are three fundamental principles. You know, the things that are really important in life are usually quite simple. And he says there are three fundamental principles. First is adjust. Now for a believer, each of these principles is true, but they also need to be seen in the light of the realm of the spirit and in the light of what it means to walk according to God's mind and will. Adjust. Living in a fallen world calls for constant adjustment to fit the circumstances. And yet the difference for us as followers of Christ is that we adjust according to the way of God, not according to the street smarts of the world. We address according to the truth of God because Jesus said, you shall know the truth which are his words and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Free from worry. Where's all this going? How's it gonna turn out? How's it gonna affect my friends and my relationships? Free from fear. Could I get it? What would happen to me if I did? What would happen if someone in my family got it and somebody died? Free, because we understand that in God's eyes, you see, death isn't the end. It's, you know, Tim Tinsley's still alive. <laughs> he never lost consciousness. He's standing in heaven right now, fully alive, more alive than ever. 
And so death is not the same thing to God. And we have to see that from his perspective. But we need to fit it to our circumstances, don't we? Let's take the coronavirus, for instance. Have you ever stopped to think the coronavirus is worldwide? It has hit every single country in the world. I think just a week or so ago, I saw where there was one little island in the Pacific Ocean that had not had a case yet, but the first case had just hit. Every single culture, every single religion, every single tribe, nation, people are experiencing this. Is that a coincidence? What is God up to? He is doing something on this whole planet where people are worried about what might physical illness they may have and how it will affect them even in the long run if they don't die, how they possibly die. And when you begin to think about your life and its existence, suddenly you begin to think, what's going on? Is there a God? Is there a God that cares? There's probably never been a greater opportunity in at least modern times that we could say that the entire world is probably asking the same question. How am I going to get through this? How's my economy? How's my work? How's my, how are my friends? How are we going to get through all of this? But you see, here's the point. If we don't ask those questions, what is God doing in my life in light of all of this? If we don't ask that question, then we'll be just like the crowd and the disciples and our hearts will become hard, unbelieving. That if we don't see God in this, then what we'll do is we'll just try to figure out what's convenient, figure out how to get around it. You see, am I trusting God or am I trusting a vaccine that's coming? And and I would encourage all of you to get the vaccine. But the point is, is that, well, if we're going to get over this, we'll get back to normal and stuff like this. Well, you know what? Why did God want us not to be normal? What is he doing? What does he want to do in my heart? What is he trying to teach me? What is he wanting me to think about of how this has affected me? Or am I just going ahead and going along saying, well, hey, I'm young, I won't get it. Or, you know, like me, I've had it, so therefore I'm not worried about it. Oh, wait a minute, why? What's happening? Where do I need to be thinking about that as far as what God is doing? Secondly, improvise. I need to adjust to how God sees it. Secondly, improvise, which means to produce without resources or enough resources that I might have. As believers, we do this by putting what we have in the hands of God. And that's why Jesus says, what do you have? Okay, then bring what you have to me. Lord, five and two, there's 12,000 people out here. It's okay. It's okay when you know who you're bringing it to. Because I can make it sufficient. Paul, the great 
spiritual leader, an apostle, prayed, God, please take this thorn in my flesh away. Three times. Boy, would, would his prayers be heard? Certainly they'd be heard. But God said, give it to me, Paul. And my resources of grace are going to be abundantly sufficient to carry you with it. And it, and it was. So much so that he boasted about God's, his weakness, so that he could boast about God's greatness. You see, let Jesus improvise for us and then do the best we can do with what he provides. It's not that he's always going to do some magnificent miracle, but you know what? Little miracles are being done every day in people's lives if we see it if we see it. And then he said, overcome. Overcome means to rise above or to get over or make it better. You know, for those of, of you who are under 40, it's hard to vil- visualize how we're in the world we're going to get through all of this. How is this changing? How is this going to change the rest of my life? This pandemic What's the fallout going to be? For those of us who have lived a little longer, we do know that God does enable us to get through things. Some of us here are old enough to know that God did take us through the most devastating war that ever was fought in World War II. And millions who didn't come home. God did take us through the Vietnam War. God did take us through financial huge reversals, not only in the Great Depression, but even in the 20s when so many banks went bankrupt. And we all felt that reverberation. But we've come through it. We've come through it. See, and the reason that we have come through it is because that God is in control. See, what most of us don't know in our own history is the things that have happened currently in our, in our government and we just are appalled at, those things have happened in the past a couple of times and presidents were even assassinated. But our country came through it because God was at work. Jesus said, I want you to know I have overcome the world. And what does that mean? What is that overcoming the world? He said, I have come to give you peace. And I've come to give you a peace the world cannot give you. I've come to give you something that will enable you to stand solid as a rock in your confidence in me as you walk through the circumstances that this journey in life brings us. Because this won't be the last thing. There will be other things that will come along in our lives. That's the peace. And to wrap up, James is the one who said, my friends, I want you to count it as joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations because they produce endurance. And he said, and let endurance have its perfect result. And that is that you will find that you will lack nothing that you will lack nothing. And then he adds, for example, if 
If you lack wisdom, pray, ask. A God who will give you wisdom without holding back. God will provide exactly what you need. So three thoughts. May the compassion of Christ encourage us to see others with that same compassion who don't have that stability that Christ gives. Secondly, may we see him as the one who takes what we have and he turns it into something that is sufficient for whatever circumstance or opportunity we find ourselves in. And last of all, to remember, we are in training. Under a shepherd who never leaves us and who will guard us and guide us through every valley and shadow of death. Father, we thank you that Jesus performed a miracle, not simply to show power, but to show all that he is capable of doing for us. As we follow him through this world, realizing that he can take the smallest of thing that we have, and turn it into that which is totally sufficient for whatever we face. Bless us now. We ask this in Christ's great name. Amen.